Welcome to Genesis. Hello. Oh. We won't make my daughter do that alone. Okay, Matt is indisposed presently, and he's on his way. So welcome to Genesis Gathering. us as well uh, on Facebook or what have you. I want to give you a phone number, okay, that you're going to use throughout the service for a couple of different things. First and most importantly, if there's something we can pray with you about, we'd love to do that. And the way you get us that prayer request is to text it to this number, 720-878-3323. 
Then also, in just a little bit after our time of worship with Matt and Lisa, we're going to have a time of, it's not really question and answer, but we pose a question and then we engage you with your feedback, both here in the sanctuary as well as over live stream. So you can put it in the chat window of the Facebook uh, feed or you can text it, once again, 720-878-88, excuse me, 3323, 720-878-3323. I'm going to turn it over to the ever-capable worship extraordinaire leader, worship leader extraordinaire, Matt Whipple, my son-in-law. Too much pressure. So my daughter. (laughs) Too much pressure. All right. (laughs) It's my hype machine, Pastor Jeff. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us this morning. And uh, if all of you who are here wouldn't mind standing with us, we're going to sing some worship songs.
no words unstoppable. All things are possible. faithfulness and we thank you that no matter what the day what the weather what our life circumstances are you are faithful and you love us like deer to a pool I'm coming after you like a thirsty animal, my heart is for your love. Like Jonah from the deep, I'm coming out of my sleep to find the secrets that you keep. It's the only thing worth rising for. From the dirt you draw me out, and you draw me out again. I'm coming back from the dead, coming out of my skin. on my door like the deepest places in you are calling to the fountains of my soul from the dirt you draw me out and you draw me out again Oh, 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 and you 
just thank you for this day and we thank you for every person in this room and every person watching by live video. And we pray that they would be blessed and they would feel your presence and you would be here today in Jesus' name. So this is a newish, really old song. So I don't know if you know it, but it's pretty easy straight through, um, pretty easy to pick up the words. So just going to, if you don't know it, it's okay. Just be blessed. All right. You are the reason that I live. You are the reason I move. You are the reason that I Father, we look forward to the time when 
everything is over and we're singing the song of you forever. Getting to know you and love you forever. Amen. Buddy. Um, it's great to have you with us. Terry, it's great to see you. So many years. Thank you for joining us. And uh, good to see our regulars. Good to have you with us. And those of you that are with us by live stream, thanks for joining us. And um, if, if you're a regular, you know that this is a time where we pose a question. We'll put it on the screen. And then we invite you to engage with us by giving us your thoughts. There aren't right or wrong answers. It's not that kind of thing. We just want to know how you feel and think about the question that we're going to pose. The number that you use, if you're watching us via live stream or Facebook, you'll either put your answers into the chat column of Facebook or text them to us at 720-878-3323. And there should be, that number should be up on the screen right now. All right, here's the question. Jeff, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to look over here, and we're going to read it. What in your life's experience have you found to be essential to ongoing change and growth? Okay, once again, what in your life's experience have you found to be essential to ongoing change and growth? Now, before we start actually taking any of the questions or answers that uh, will come our way, I want to introduce somebody to you. This gentleman is a good friend of mine. He lives in California, and he happens to head the organization that our church belongs to. His name is John Master Giovanni. We're beginning a new series today called Reductive. Uh, does anybody venture a guess at the meaning of the word reductive? Can we, let's bring that volume down. Uh, there's something on a feedback there. Thanks. Okay. Reductive. Anybody? No? Okay. In a word, reductive means keeping things simple. Okay? Getting back to the basics. In fact, when you find that your life is really busy, you want to go through a process of being reductive and cutting some things out. It's called reduction or being reductive. Uh, when a song is too busy. So this last song that we just sang is anything, but uh, is anything but busy. That was a very reductive song. It was very simple, the wording very simple, easy for you to catch. Our lives get busy with many, many things. And a lot of those things don't belong there. At least many of those things aren't central to us having real peace and growing and developing. So, this entire series is going to be about bringing to you some ideas and some principles and some values 
about how we can reduce the clutter in our life and keep the main things the main things. Everybody say it. Keeping the main things the main thing. All right? Now, John Master Giovanni is going to take the first topic, which is God's nature. And he's joining us via live stream this morning. So let's go ahead and bring him in from the, quote, green room. And I'm not trying to be cute or funny. That's what it's called. Uh, John, I guess I'm going to turn. And cameraman, I'm going to need your real attention here because it's going to take a little extra from you. John, I'm looking at you on screen here. So um, it's great to have you with us. I trust that you can hear us and let us work on your volume. I want to be sure that uh, the people in the sanctuary can hear you. Well, first first of all, it's great to be with you. Um, I do hear a bit of feedback, so I don't know how we're going <laughs> to deal with that. Just, I, I'd love to believe it's because my voice is so powerful that uh, that's why it echoes. Okay. If I have to, I'll do my best to ignore it. Thank you. So, so hello, everyone. What, what we're going to do, I'm going to use a, just a minute to tweak some things, okay, for the, for the sake of the sanctuary. So let's bring John's volume up in the sanctuary. And let's please dial a little bit of his bassiness and boominess out of his channel, please. See, I just thought that's the way I talk. No, 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 no. So (laughs) I I want more volume in the house, please, on John's vocal. All right. And let's get some of the bassiness out of that channel. And, of course, we're talking about the video channel where you would play video stream music. Dial some of the basiness out of that. Thanks so much for helping us with that. John, um, you know, I talked to you about the fact that at the beginning of our service, we um, have a a segment where we introduce a question to the people and then uh, take their answers. Uh, There's not a right or wrong answer. They can put that in the Facebook chat or respond by texting. Uh, Nina is monitoring that as well as anybody that desires to share an answer here in the sanctuary. So uh, John's going to facilitate uh, me uh, with uh, responding to the questions. Every question, or uh, excuse me, every answer doesn't need a response and you won't necessarily get one from us in, in this, okay? But sometimes we wanna drill down on the answers that you're giving. Uh, or get you to explain a little deeper, or it might spark something in either John's thinking or mine or Nina's that uh, we desire to comment on. We have such great response to this every week. So, those of you that are live streaming, once again, 720-878-3323. Right now, text us your answer to the question. Jeff, could we please throw the question back up? All right. What in your life's experience have you found to be essential to ongoing change and growth? All right, do we have a number of answers? Oh, good. Okay, um, are we up in here? Okay, so Tanya gave sent twice. She said a desire to learn, and then she also said a childlike imagination. What in your life's experience have you this? essential to ongoing change and growth. Wow, a childlike 
imagination. You know, I don't, I don't think I have that. Okay, and let's <laughs> let's bring Nina up in this microphone, please, louder. Uh, okay, well, so uh, Tanya, you know, I am regularly blown away, frankly, by your responses on a weekly basis. They're just so insightful, and I think that's an amazing value and tribute. Mm -hmm. A childlike approach to life, which, I, I mean, that was one of the key things that Jesus brought up in the Gospels, that we must become like a child. Remember that? We must become like a child to do what? To enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's not talking about eternal salvation. That's talking about living life on earth as it is in heaven, okay, first of all, and the quality of life that God has uh, through Jesus Christ for us here on earth. If you don't live like a child, if you approach everything, um, if you approach everything with a haughty attitude, with a difficult attitude, with an aggressive attitude. I already attitude, know attitude. With a I already know, I'm in charge <laughs> attitude. It, it's not going to be a very peaceful life here on earth. And so Jesus invites us to enter into that childhood. I just love that response. John, uh, I, I, I know you've heard that. You can see the question. Uh, does that spark anything in you, that first? It completely flows with some of the things we will talk about. Thank you. Well, yeah. let's not take the meat out of John's sandwich then, <laughs> and, and we'll just continue. Okay, so I'm going to just keep breading the, the butter. That's keep right. the butter. So I mean, Nina, never mind. You stay here and monitor, <laughs> and I will make. Okay, I'm going to take one from the congregation if there's one. Oh, from the congregation. Okay. Well, then we have. All right. So, uh, Barb says. Seeing God in the little things in everyday life, seeing and hearing and knowing, and I guess therefore knowing that the, the, the living God is real because you're seeing him in everyday life. And the question, what in your life's experience? Ooh, yes, have you found to be essential? I agree with that. You, that, that when you see him in everyday life and you experience him, that brings you change and growth. John, whenever you hear something or see something that you want to dive into, please do. Don't even wait. Just talk right over me. Okay. <laughs> I just, I just These answers are, are incredible. They're really good. Aren't they good? So, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, we have a brilliant congregation. Indeed. <laughs> Small but mighty. Well, okay. Um, Jeff says, and this is more or less it goes along with Tanya's willingness to learn and realize you don't know everything. Hello, even whatever age we might be, there's still lots more to find out. Absolutely, um, that's very good. Okay, so we also have, and hi, Leanne, we haven't heard from you in forever, so hey. good to see you here. So she says, trying to do as much as I can to get better. Trying to do as much as I can to get better. John? Um, that's part of the message, too, I think. But, but yes, yeah. <laughs> See, I mean, every... Let's... 
We'll just leave John out of really good. this part. <laughs> <laughs> we need to preach you know, today. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's, you know. I, I think you're going to you find, know. first of all, not only is it my good friend and the apostolic leader of our roundtable apostolic uh, team and um, over an organization that our church belongs to, but he's, uh, he's, a, he's a Hebrew scholar and uh, does okay with Greek, too. And so I just can't wait to hear what he's going to unpack for us here about God's nature. But all of these answers are feeding right into that. Who's next? Yeah, okay. it's really great. Really good. Yeah. Michael says, um, and Michael, I hope you got back on okay. Um, humility, open mind, and willingness which is probably why change doesn't happen often for me. I need to learn greater humility. Mm. I don't know. That is the key. We, we will be, be talking about, about ego and humility in the process. Yeah, I don't know, John, that we're born with humility, are, are we? <laughs> oh, only Nina. Only oh, Nina? Only Nina. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and don't you forget it. Okay. <laughs> so, Mary, Mary, you have one. Uh, we need to say it. You need to say it over the mic for everybody's benefit out in the live stream world. I'll hold it. What's helped me in life to change is conflict, chaos, calamity, and hardships that happen. And okay. Then I want to change. I'm going to have you repeat that and stay close okay. to the mic because you kept okay. moving away. Um, Chaos, calamity, hardship, conflict brings about change and growth. Excellent. Wow. <laughs> How's that? Isn't that great? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, really good. Really good. In, in, fact, in fact, John, I think you've said something, and I know I'm, I, I won't be quoting it exactly um, to your quote, but there's something about... Humility actually is the gateway to revelation. Correct. It, it's yes. not getting more knowledge. It's not reading more uh, or knowing the Bible backwards and forwards. It's actually a, living in a place of humility. And again, I don't want to take take the meat out of your sandwich. But no, okay. No, we have another question. Fine. Cameraman, follow me, and that way John has the benefit here. Uh, Terry, yes. you want to pull your mask down for this part? Sure. Um, what I find, um, can we put the question back up there, please? Sure. There we go. Yeah. What I find um, essential to ongoing change and growth is my faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus never changes. He is steadfast. He's there for me all the time. Every time I call upon him, he answers. I may not get a yes all the time and maybe no or maybe but if I'm patient, I get an answer. Um, my life is always changing. I've had a lot of life experiences that have thrown me up and down. And it's just God. You know, just like the beginning was the Word. Well, I, I've learned this last year. The Word is Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. 
Jesus is God. You know, my kids change all the time. They throw chaos at me. Sometimes they're not respectful. But I remember that if I stay steadfast in Jesus, maybe they'll see the light. Wow. Okay. How is that, our live stream audience? Oh, my goodness, Terry. Thank you. John, uh, who did... Do, do, do we have... We have one more, okay. and of course, it's it, it's okay. Tanya again with another fabulous statement. Okay. Okay, she says, also taking mistakes as lessons rather than failure. Stop Phew. it. Just, just <laughs> stop it. <laughs> uh, well, I guess, I guess we, we could just, just take up an offering and go home now. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the body of Christ at work. Uh, everyone yes. having a, a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, a word, a, an encouragement, and, and, and how the Lord speaks through each person to, to bring out the whole uh, situation. So we're looking forward to hearing from you, John. Of course, I'm looking up at the thing here to see you. Uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you to get Look, your part. Yes, you know the Look Italian out. hands here. <laughs> John and I are both Italian. He sends, he and right. his daughter have sent me things that say, like a cup and an apron that say, like, this is my inside voice. Or, I'm not yelling, I'm Italian. <laughs> they understand me. Right. Okay, anyway, we're looking forward to hearing what you bring as your part of the body of Christ. I felt one more um, thing here. Let's see if it brought one more input. Oh, Jim, simple. Jim says, choices. That's, that's a heavy-duty one word. What choices. in your life's experience have you found to be essential to choices. ongoing change and growth? Wow. Choices. What a deal. Choices. That's All right. Yeah, that's it. John, I'm just anxious, okay? I, I need a, we need to get everything else off the screen. We're going to turn it over to you. I want okay. you to talk to us about God's okay. nature in relationship to our series, Reductive, Keeping the Main Thing the Main Thing. Thank you, my brother, for, for doing this for us today. Hey, I'm honored. Um, I am sharing my screen, and what I'm going to do temporarily is take off my uh, earplugs. So, my earplugs, not earplugs, my ear headphones. <laughs> um, so I don't get thanks for um, if you would, I'm gonna put up the the slide as well and maybe squeeze me down a little bit. I'd appreciate that. And uh, if Jeff, I think maybe you're the one in the control booth today. I'm not sure which Jeff, but thank you for all your hard work in advance. <laughs> What we're what uh, we're titling this today is God's nature, compassion, and I'm choosing to use the word compassion uh, rather than the word love because, um, in my view, many of us have a definition already, and it's especially in biblical context of what love is. Compassion seems to augment that and maybe force us to think a little differently. Uh, since what we commonly call the fall, our entire notion of reality has changed. 
We went from the real world of divine likeness, the sense of limitlessness, to one of unconsciousness and illusion, a sense of finite limitation. The entire lens through which we see the world is through the serpent and its tree. It was a choice we made, not because of something sinister, but because God's sole intention was for us to be his image. And without being his image, we couldn't effectively have a relationship of equality with him. Without the ability to choose a love relationship with God, the source of our true self, it would never be really genuine. Love cannot exist. Here's the word we just heard a few minutes ago. Love cannot exist without choice. So for us to be like God, he had to give us a legitimate choice between the source of our true self or to choose something different. Thus, we were given the option of this thing called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, rooted in the serpentine nature of ego or self-centeredness, or as some would say, um, pride. But I've never met an ego that thought itself prideful. <laughs> this is really a false sense of self. The result was the illusion that we're not like God enough, and that by knowing good and evil, we would become like God. And this is commonly what we call the fall itself. Oops. The challenge with even calling it the fall, which doesn't really exist, you know, in the Old and New Testaments, which is kind of interesting. Uh, it's usually titles we put over sections like falling into sin and stuff like that. It's really a theological view uh, we've implied that may need to be qualified a bit. Rather, if you think about it, it's a journey we chose to take, which at the beginning seemed to reject God, our source of identity, and us wanting our own way. But though we left paradise, Eden, God never left us. No sooner we are outside the gates of Eden, we find God communing with Eve, with Cain, with Noah, and so on. I guess you could say that we may have tried to leave God, but God never left us. In the risk God took to create his image and likeness, he did it to give us the right to go our own way. The key was this. We had to learn the value and equity of our home with the creator, and in so doing, the value of our identity. We call it the fall because we see through the eyes of egoism and the knowledge of good and evil, which by definition in Jesus is our existence in death, the unconscious world of egoistic dreams. And if you think about it, be totally honest, we didn't, uh, God didn't create this world, regardless of how beautiful we think it is, we created it, or better said, we transformed it into our egoistic image. The lion and the lamb, or actually, as it says in Isaiah, the wolf doesn't lay down with the lamb, nor the leopard with the goat. Rather, the one devours the other. Thus, all creation groans for us to find our true self as the image and likeness of God, Romans 8.22. There's something clearly wrong here. It's an illusion. 
most of it's really not real, but the story we tell ourselves about what's happening and how to bring some kind of sense of security to our insecurity. Now, what I want to do is read a couple of scriptures to you. But the issue is spiritual growth, transformation, discovery of God. It doesn't necessarily come by religious ritual, affiliation, or even what the Bible says. So that's all really helpful. Keep the main thing, the main thing isn't knowledge, but becoming conscious. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Ephesians 5, 13 through 14. But all things reprobate make are, excuse me, but all things reprobate are made manifest by the light. For everything made manifest is light. Therefore it is said, Arise, sleeper, stand up from among the dead, and the anointed will shine upon you. Think of those ideas. Arise, sleeper, and stand up from among the dead, and the anointed will shine upon you. If you notice it, it it's not saying some of the things we, we may have uh, thought about are even what we call being saved or saying a sinner, sinner's prayer. He says, arise, O sleeper, stand up from the dead. So this whole idea of sleeping goes right in line with what Genesis is telling us when we partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When we decided that we weren't like God enough because the serpent said we needed something more. So when we decided that and then believing falsely that by knowing good and evil, right and wrong, is what's going to um, help us become like God, we fell asleep. I like to call it in uh, my first Melchizedek book, the death sleep. So there we are, in a sense, in a death sleep, dreaming the illusion of this world that we've created. And God is in, uh, in empowering us every day to exist, if you will, in the sleep. It's almost like we're on life support by God and we don't even recognize sometimes he's there. The Apostle Paul again says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6. My dear friends, you don't live in darkness and so that day won't surprise you like a thief. You belong to the light and live in the day. We don't live in the night or belong to the dark. But notice what he says here. Others may sleep, but we should stay awake and be alert. What's the inference there? We can fall back into unconsciousness once we've been awakened. And I want to suggest it to you that becoming conscious is a process, just like in the morning when we wake up. You know, we... we open our eyes and we think, okay, I just woke up. But actually there was a whole process that took place that the brain was going through to get us to the point where our eyes can open and we can take that deeper breath from our sleeping breath and become conscious, get out of bed and walk. And in some cases, I don't know about you, but the older I get, sometimes getting out of bed is, it takes a little longer. Unless you're like Jeff Corson, he just jumps, you know, gets right out of bed. But not this guy. How about this verse? Romans 13, 9 through 11. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love, the, love does not do harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fullness of Torah. This is the complete Jewish Bible. So it is high time for you to rouse yourselves from sleep. For well, the final deliverance is nearer than when we first came to trust. 
Why use terms like rouse from sleep, awake, or in more modern vernacular, I've been using the phrase becoming conscious, because this isn't about knowing with the mind, but awakening in the heart. That's what really transforms the mind. If not, whatever rules we think, whatever things we actually just think of in our own heads just becomes another form of illusion and religious system as opposed to complete consciousness of the reality of us being an emanation of Christ himself. I'm convinced of this. God cannot be comprehended without first awakening to his nature. One of the key aspects of God in the Old Testament is that he degenerates into the nature of egoistic man. You could say when we were created in the image of God in the garden, but when we left, we actually began creating God in our image. Keep in mind, when we partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we covered ourselves. Remember the fig leaf thing. As they covered themselves. God came and they hid themselves and they covered themselves. So it's interesting that in the model of the tabernacle and later the temple of Solomon, uh, that's really exactly what's happened. We created the curtain that covers God. We are hiding from God behind the curtain. That's another way you could look at it. Mind you, again, God never left us. We may have left him, but he didn't leave us. And even though through the Old Testament, in certain respects, there are these moments of when God seemed to show a love and a compassion and an aspect of his nature, but it keeps coming through because we see our evil stuff, these caricatures symbols. So we see God for one minute um, being loving and compassionate, and then almost like a paranoid schizophrenic becoming outraged and angry. And I would highly recommend if you do a little study on the phrase, the anger of the Lord, and come out to actually Satan. But that's another really topic for another time because I want to talk about some other things. So if you can, just take my word for that. Maybe we'll talk about that some other time. As we progress through this Old Testament process, you know, consider when Abraham um, uh, communed with God, there, were, there was no sacrifices, there were no altars, there were nothing he did to invoke God's presence. Actually, it was God's idea. God showed up to him. But as time went on, from God speaking to Abraham out of the expanse of the universe and within his heart, it began to digress. And before you know it, we have the law and the, the tabernacle and the priesthood, Levitical specifically, which is technically, if you like theological terms, is known as a Caesarean vassal covenant. We went from a grant covenant where God was just loving and wanting to give to us like he did with Abraham. We taught God, believe it or not, because it was a grant covenant. So he was granting to us what we desired. We desired to know him through the world of egoism and right and wrong, good and evil, which is the serpentine world. And because of that, it created all kinds of chaos. And yet, as we went through this process, it came to a point where we were just developed enough where God can give us really the foundation revelation to it all, and that's Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, you may have heard this before, Jesus was really not an example for us, but an example of us. Now, I'm not saying don't use the phrase example for us, that's fine, but um, I just want to make a distinction for the sake of our dialogue today. The, the subtle difference could, can be this when we say these words, from for and of, those two little words. When someone is an example for us, the implication is that one has attained and the other has not, and they can possibly attain. When someone is an example of us, the implication is that both are the same, equal in character and nature, whether one is conscious of it or not. Thus, it's not something to be attained, but something to be uncovered. Which brings me to this next one. I just told you, God cannot be comprehended without first away from his nature. I want to imply this as well. We cannot comprehend our true self without awakening his nature within us. Hence, the Greek word for truth, aletheia, which is throughout the New Testament, doesn't mean knowing the facts, knowing Bible verses, or having some substance correct. Aletheia, the Greek word, means to be uncovered. It's actually a negative part of the word. Uh, the F sound at the beginning looks like a letter A if you were to look at the Greek word. That is a negative particle, and aletheia means to cover it. So it's aletheia means to uncover. These are simultaneous discoveries. We comprehend God because we comprehend our true self and vice versa. And to comprehend both, we must awaken nature. Now, for most of us, we know that God is love. I mean, we can probably recite John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or 1 John 4.16, God is love. He who abides uh, in love abides in God and God in him. Notice even how in the last verse of this question, notice how abiding in God and God abiding in us is a simultaneous comprehension. Consider this verse too in Romans 13, 9 to 11. It starts with, before he talks about us arousing from sleep, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I realize that we probably hear this and we could probably recite that. Jesus said this several times. Um, of course, the Apostle Paul's now mentioning it here, and it actually comes out of Leviticus, of all places. And it's those moments in the Old Testament where things are uncertain that is attempting to bring God out behind the veil for us to see. But, you know, we like to keep the veil closed because we'd rather know what's right and wrong rather than know who we are. That's another discussion, too. Now, this doesn't mean love your neighbor in the same manner as we love ourselves. If it did, the wording would actually be different. If you think about it, most of us um, have challenges loving ourselves. And that's really rooted in um, inability for us to uh, find security in our source. So instead, we let the ego become our false self, our self-centeredness, that becomes what we attribute to as identity. And as a result, it's difficult to love your neighbor uh, So, uh, in the same manner of ourselves. And, and in certain respects, in the end, that's how we do it. We will fight, we will argue, we will 
you know, do some atrocities to quote unquote our neighbor because we really don't love ourselves. But God uses this ver this word, and it's interesting because um, the Greek phrase there for loving your neighbor as yourself, that phrase as yourself is chos se'alkan. And it's to model the Hebrew word uh, kamuka. And kamuka means really love your neighbor because they are you. It's not love in the same manner. It's love your neighbor as yourself because they are you. you your neighbor is you. So if we're to mirror the divine, the divine image and likeness and be sourced in his nature, then so is everyone else. Then in the same way we are one with God, we are also one with each other. So this now brings me to the crux of why I'm suggesting to you, regardless um, of what we may think of love, I want to use that word compassion. Because God's nature as compassion takes us a bit further than what it means. Again, saying God of love is absolutely true. And most of, most of us interpret love on how we understand it with all the equals. Compassion, in the truest sense, can only emerge from the divine nature within it. This is something that is awakened in us rather than study or even pray about. Listen to these verses. Mark 1.41, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, and he said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. He was moved with compassion. How about this? When Jesus went to shore, this is Mark 6.34, he saw a, lot, a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. How about this one? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, Jesus, famous parable of the prodigal son, and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, I'm more convinced, I think, than ever before that one of the reasons why we don't see maybe healing occur in the lives of people, or even sometimes folks comprehending what is taught, is because we teach, even though the information may be correct, without being moved by the divine nature itself, compassion. We can have churches with thousands of people and preach messages and have all the right things going on to keep the crowd connected to us. And how many times we're preaching true information from an egoistic standpoint and empowering others from an egoistic standpoint. Like for example, God wants to prosper you. Well, I am totally, I, I don't have a problem with, with financial prosperity and all that sort of stuff. And how many times then when it comes to giving the offering, it's done in such a way so that if you give, you're going to get and our egos stimulated. Rather than compassion, which says, I'm going to give whether I get anything out of it or not, because that's who I am. 
This is not only about redefining the Father God from an Old Testament hybrid version of an angry, judgmental, pseudo-pagan God, but also redefining who celebrates in the house. We can consider the prodigal son. When the father came out and clothed him, I mean, you don't even hear anything about him taking the, the prodigal son taking the shower, probably still smells like the pigs. None of that is relevant. But what happens is then he's beckoned into the house. And of course, we know the balance of the story is that the father once again goes out to the other prodigal son. You know, the one that was serving in the field, doing all the right things, keeping all the commandments. But he too was out of the house. He was maybe a little closer to the house because his religiosity told him he was serving the father. But in the end, if you think about it, that older brother doesn't even come and ask the father, what's all the ruckus going on in the house and all the music? He asks a fellow servant. He didn't even have the type of relationship that communed with the father. The father had to come out to him and beckon him back into the house. Unfortunately, the parable stays there. We don't know if that older son ever goes into the house. And I think one of the reasons for that is because you and I get the opportunity to finish that story. Are you going to, am I going to lay aside our rules of right and wrong, good and evil, our egoism, and enter into the celebration in the house. It's really about the house. Several years ago, I was asked by a brother in England, and I just mentioned it to this effect before, why don't we see miracles or churches growing um, in a changing neighborhood like the Bible? And then he added, this is what his statement was. He said, I know it's because we have sin in our lives. May I suggest to you, that's not the case. That's not how the cross and the resurrection uh, addresses our condition. The Father doesn't see us through Jesus' glasses, meaning we're still sinners, but he sees us cleansed. The Father doesn't see us as once a sinner, now saved. Rather, he sees us as a pure, as pure as the day we were created. Hebrews 8, 12, and Isaiah 43, 25 tells us he doesn't remember our sins anymore, which now means we need to forget them too. You know, there's that phrase uh, where Jesus is on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know what? Apply that to yourself. Many of us have lived that life and done things because we weren't conscious. Forgive yourself. You didn't know what you're doing. In the mind of God, you're as pure as the day he created you because all that's been taken care of. How about this verse? Micah 719, he will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish, he will vanquish our iniquity. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Well, if that's where they are, you need to let them be there. God doesn't know us by our sin. He knows us by our innocence. The difference between the garden and our journey of choice is that we started with innocence and ignorance. But through Christ, our innocence now remains. Yet because of the journey and discovering this divine nature of compassion within us, our ignorance is lost and we're awakened 
to our true identity, my choice, by this journey we take. We then become conscious of our origin and our divine connection both to God and each other. After all, in the end, we're all one in any way and the same, as Jesus says in John 17, that they may be one in us, I in them, you in me. Think of all those ideas that he begins to bring out for us. This is the issue of looking at our brother and sister, humanity, with the eyes of compassion. That's what really awakens us to the nature of God and to Christianity in the truest sense of the word. You know, and when I get done here just a little bit and the service was over, I know you guys are going out going outside and going to be ministering by giving food and loving on people. I was thinking about that in light of this topic, God's nature, compassion. I believe what your pastors are doing, not just teaching us Bible verses and ideas, but giving us an opportunity to manifest God's nature in compassion by loving others. And in many respects, that really is the transformational dynamic of the message or of the reality of Christ within us, more so than knowing verses, knowing Hebrew and Greek, singing worship songs. All those things have their, their value in place, but that which transforms and helps us comprehend God is when we reach into the well of that divine nature that is within every single person and see with the eyes of compassion on another person. Let me uh, bring up a little something here that I thought you might find interesting. Somebody mentioned earlier about becoming like a child. So what I wanna just tell you a little story about for a few minutes to bring this to a close is what all this is about. Think about it. We leave the garden. We, uh, by choice, it had to be a legitimate choice. We need to maybe remove the thing of being these disobedient kids that ate the wrong fruit, but realizing that God had to give us the choice so we can choose to love him and to love each other. Love has got to be a choice. It can't be anything less than that because at that point it removes the divine nature from the equation. And now we're no different than robots. So it had to be a choice. And, and even though we may have chosen our own way, even in that process of going our own way, what winds up happening is we still, every moment of every day, have that same choice. Even though one was originally from the point of view of the, the tree of life, and we chose the tree of death, for lack of a better word, the knowledge of good and evil. Now, from the point of view of egoism and the knowledge of good and evil, we still have an opportunity in every moment in every situation to choose life. And God says so even in Deuteronomy, choose life. Well, there is a phenomenal story that most everybody knows outside of Bible verses, etc., that talks about this transformation. And um, it originally uh, originally has its origins in what the Grail legends. And I'll give you a hint uh, what it is in just a moment. But it is a children's story. 
And I would hope after I share this with you a little bit, you may go home the next couple of days and relaunch it with new eyes. Um, in the Grail Legends, originally, before it was kind of Christianized, the, um, the Grail was actually an emerald platter. And uh, that sort of given us a hint on a child's story. As a matter of fact, if I was there with you and could hear you, I would ask a couple of you, who, who, what do you think it is? But the technical, philosophical turn of this movie, this movie that was made from a book, uh, is known as The Eternal Return. And that movie is none other than The Wizard of Oz. It's a great parable of that experience. If you think about it, it was written by Frank Obama in 1939. And, excuse me, it was written by Frank Obama early. It was made into a movie in 1939 with, of course, the, these incredible actors, Judy Garland, uh, Frank Morgan, Ray Bolger, Burt Blair. And I just want to give you aspects of this movie and how it models really the prodigal son story and our story. If you think about it from the beginning, Dorothy is dreaming of a place other than home from a very egoistic point of view. In her self bitterness she wants something beyond the love of her uncle and aunt and friends. She says this illusionary place is somewhere over the rainbow where skies are blue. Consider as she sings of the colors of the rainbow in a movie, everything is black and white. In her eyes, she cannot see the color and beauty that was right in front of her. Thus, she wants to leave and find what she desires elsewhere. In her discontentment, she, she unconsciously creates problems with a neighbor. Her name is Miss Cole. And if you go back to that story, you find what, what happens is Dorothy allows Toto, her dog, to constantly eat Mrs. Gulch's plants and doesn't do anything about it. So Mrs. Gulch finally gets very upset and goes to the sheriff, gets um, uh, a summons, goes to Dorothy's house and tells her, uh, tells them that she has a sheriff summons to take the dog to the pound. And of course, she takes the dog to the pound. And, the uh, uncle and aunt actually give the dog to her, Toto. And this gulch takes Toto, puts him in the basket, and rides off to take the dog to the pound. Of course, Dorothy is really upset. How can you do this to me? But if you notice, she doesn't see how she contributed to this at all. Finally, of course, Toto uh, manages to get out of the basket on the bike and runs back home and runs to Dorothy. So Dorothy decides this is the moment. I can't take it here anymore. I'm leaving. So she leaves, and as she gets to um, a certain place, she meets uh, really a, a kind of a ragtag carnival magician who's, you know, really a fake magician. He just, he's just a, a parlor trick guy. And, but he, he sees that she really needs to get home. So he encourages her to go home. But the second she starts home, a tornado spins up, winds start blowing, she comes to the house. Her relatives and friends are now on the ground in a storm shelter, and she runs into the house. The winds are really kicked up strong, and when she runs into her room, a, 
a window pane falls off, hits her, hits her in the head, knocks her unconscious. But then all of a sudden, she gets up and she's now caught up in this tornado. And you, you probably know all this part of the story, but I really wanted to front end the story uh, for a minute. She gets hit and she begins to see livestock go by. She begins to see all these different things go by. And of course, we see Miss Belch go by on the bicycle and she transforms into the Wicked Witch. Before you know it, the house lands and Dorothy exits the house into a world of color. But probably the most uh, famous um, line in all of movie history is said at that point, and that's, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. We must be somewhere over the rainbow. The very imaginary world she dreamt of before she left home was the world she created and fell into. If you think about it, how the story proceeds, um, let me give you a little background to that, and then I'll bring this to an end. You know, if you do a backstory, because the house falls on the Wicked Witch of the East, and you see her feet kind of disappear under the house, and magically Dorothy has her ruby slippers on her feet, which in Mom's book is silver, silver slippers. But if you think about it, really, uh, what's Dorothy's last name? Dorothy's last name is Gale. You hear Gale Force wins. If you do a, actually a little study on the Wicked Witch of the East, you're going to find she is has the power to create uh, weather conditions and particularly tornadoes. And Dorothy actually is the Wicked Witch of the East. But what happened is, is now we've gone into the world of illusion. The Wicked Witch of the East is now discovering the true identity of its eternal return. And everything she goes through, Wicked Witch of the West, if you think about it, look at it all. She's, yes, Miss Gulch, but the all know that Dorothy created of what Miss Gulch was, not taking responsibility for her own action. And she meets, interestingly enough, three friends Eric Crow, the Caribbean Lion, the Timmy, who goes on this journey. We watch through it all. The journey she's going on to be to learn what is to be compassionate to others. Because her three friends seem to have certain needs. Now her quest to get home has transformed in a quest to help them. Finally, she reaches the Emerald City through a whole bunch of things. The movie's fantastic. And when she gets there, we even find the wizard himself and get her home. And uh, Linda, the Good Witch of the North, shows up. And she has a very interesting thing that she says to Dorothy toward the end. And this is the exact dialogue out of the movie. The uh, wizard has been erroneously taken away uh, by uh, him getting in the balloon that she was, uh, the uh, air balloon that he's going to take Dorothy back home to Kansas. Of course, that is now uh, blown away. And if you watch very carefully, it's the tin man that unties it. So that happens. And actually, let this happen. It all comes down to this, everything that she's always had, the power. The power that she created tornadoes in, in her life is the same power that she has to get home. The thing is, she's going to see home for the first time with new eyes. Because she's been on this journey of discovery, of compassion, like the prodigal son. Glinda, the... Good Witch of the North says, you don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. 
Dorothy. I have? Scarecrow. So why didn't you tell her before, Glinda? Because she wouldn't have believed me. She had to learn it for herself. The Tin Man. What have you learned, Dorothy? Dorothy, well, I think that, that it wasn't enough just to see Uncle Henry and Auntie M. It was that if I was going to, if, if ever I go looking for my heart's desire again, I really don't have to look any further than my own backyard. Because if it isn't there, I never really lost it at the beginning. And of course, she's then told to play the Ruby Slippers three times, and she reappears at home, and all these people that in her dream are right there in front of her, and she celebrates with her final words of there's no place like home. The eternal return. That's the idea. That's a great parable. I'm going to suggest to you one last verse here, First Peter 3, 8. Finally. Be you all of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. You know, Peter would know what that's all about because Peter was actually the opposite guy. Peter was the guy that took the sword and cut off the Roman soldier's ear. And I want to say, and he did it, why? To protect Jesus. I want to suggest to you when we start protecting Jesus, protecting our faith, we're probably cutting off the ears of those who need to hear. And I'll tell you right now, we're in a very interesting time in America and even in the Western world, where a lot of us Christians have taken up arms, if you will, if not with our actual hands, with our mouths, fight for our religious freedom. I would suggest that when we are fighting for your religious freedom, you've already lost the Christ reality within you. You've gone back to sleep. We cut off the ear of the one who needs to hear. So what does Jesus do? He comes right back and heals that ear. And Peter has learned his lesson. He ends with, uh, in his epistles, in the second epistle, he says, or by these, speaking of promises, these great and precious promises, listen to this, that you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through us. Unending there at this point. And uh, I don't know, Jeff, if you have any uh, thoughts or questions you want to uh, from the people or discussion or maybe for the sake of time, uh, we need to end this all. But I want to give you the idea that compassion, love of God is the transforming power. Humility is the gateway to revelation, as we said earlier. It is not um, it is not study. Matter all study is going to do is unpack for you the revelation that you really have. And sadly, when we keep unpacking an angry God, when we keep unpacking a God that fights, devours, accuses, like the older brother in the prodigal son story, we're only really reflecting ourselves. Our egoistic condition still. But if we humble ourselves and truly look at that person, I don't care who they are, as the image and likeness of God, I will discover myself. I will discover God. He's rigged it. So like Dorothy, it may be a dream world, but as we go through the journey, we eventually see ourselves 
see others, see God, and in effect, our home with brand new eyes. Thanks so much for letting me share it today. Hope some of this made sense. God richly bless you. There's so much of this topic you can bring today. Thanks again. Jeff, bring me in split screen. You, I hope, can hear me. Yeah, you might need to put your ears back in. John, thank you. Um, oh, my goodness. Compassion is awakened. We love others as though they are us because they are us and we are them because we're born of one Father. He sees us as innocent. God knows us by our innocence. We forgive ourselves. We were the person hanging on the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Next time you find yourself wallowing in self-pity or an awareness of your sinfulness, forgive yourself for you knew not what you were doing. Just so many principles, John. I can't thank you enough. Due to the hour and the event that we're now rolling into, we're going to just dismiss. I'm going to have a prayer right now, and then uh, we'll let you go, and uh, we'll bring you back to just extend this. And um, okay. thank you so much for kicking this series reductive <clears throat> off. What, what fabulous, fabulous points. Uh, to those of you that are here, we would invite you, those that are watching by live stream, to continue through the series with us. We're going to be talking about uh, many important things, such as hope, such as change. Terry, you mentioned a lot of change going on in your life, but there is an anchor, Jesus. We're going to talk about keeping the things, first things, the first. We're going to keep talk about keeping those things that are most important the most important let's have a word of prayer jesus we just thank you for this opportunity for the technology the technology that's available for us uh, to even do this with um, with men of god and women of god thank you for john's message to us i know i'm going to need to go back over it and um, continue my notes for everybody listening I just release you from having to try. I release you from trying to be. And may there be a, a whole new awareness of your innocence as well as that the Father has completely accepted you just like you are. There's nothing to improve, nothing to get better at. May that revelation and awareness from God, from His Holy Spirit, just awaken your heart, every one of you, so that you can begin to walk in who you are because you know who God is. Help us, Holy Spirit, with these things. You're our teacher. We commit to you this message and we trust you to take it from here now and teach us and remind us of the things that you were saying to us today. We pray for this event of passing out the food to the community. 
that the uh, weather would not prevent anybody from coming and driving up and getting the food that they so need. And for the volunteers that you will help us with the weather to manage it and to be encouraged, Holy Spirit, supercharge us in this hour for this event as we show compassion now, as we demonstrate you, Jesus, to our community. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, John. God bless you. We'll see you uh, soon. We'll talk. God bless. Well, everybody, this is the close of our service. We'll do communion. We'll plan on doing communion next time when we don't have so much going on. And um, Lord bless you. I'll be available immediately following service for any quick questions that you might have. And then we're just uh, anxious today to get out there and unload the semi-truck. That may have already begun with the volunteers. The truck is coming about 12-ish. And uh, they'll start unloading it. We got $44,000 worth of food there, 1,200 boxes, 30-pound boxes of food. We've got whole milk. Uh, I say whole. It's 2% metal gold. We've got Girl Scout cookies. It's just so fun. We need to get some tents put up that have been provided. And so if you're staying and if you can assist with any of that, thank you for your help. God bless you all. We'll see you next week.